The theme for our conference was Uncommon Fellowship, talking about how as the Church of Jesus Christ, there's nothing really common about what God has brought together. You know, we have a, an, an accumulation of peoples from every tribe, nation, tongue, socioeconomic class. You know, as the world is trying to segregate themselves and divide amongst themselves, the church brings everybody together through their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so this is kind of the theme that we talked about. We had groups from every denomination and even other countries there just coming together with one purpose, to inspire our hearts to love God more and to let that love shine through us in a greater way and to lead our churches and our organizations in a way that can make a, an eternal impact in our communities. And, uh, and so it was just an, an, a great, refreshing time. We had, uh, you know, men like Dave Ramsey there uh, who has, uh, you know, developed uh, a stewardship uh, uh, program called uh, Financial Peace University, and they do a lot of work. He has a talk, a syndicated talk show, a radio show, and uh, a woman named Lisa Turkers was there, a fantastic speaker. She uh, developed a ministry called Proverbs 31 Ministries for Women, uh, which is for challenged in all sorts of realms and avenues. And so I thought it would be advantageous for you as a church to hear from, not just me, because you hear me speak week after week, but to hear from those that went. And what God kind of has laid on their heart and spoken to them, not just about their area of ministry, just about in their life. So you can see how God is working in the leadership of your church. So this time, I'm going to invite those that, uh, that went, the leaders that went that are available. Julia and Katie are not going to be here this morning. They are busy serving us and uh, making it available for us to be in here today. But uh, uh, the rest of the team is going to be up here. And uh, I'm going to just invite them just to take a, a couple minutes and just to share what God has laid on their heart and to give you a sneak peek and maybe what God might have in store for us as we go forward. And then uh, uh, when they're finished, we will uh, uh, continue on in the service. So we're going to start with Jason Tanner. No pressure. No pressure. Um, <clears throat> Well, we, I think we, all of us, I think we could speak for hours on what we experienced. Um, it was an amazing experience um, just to have all the leaders, thousands, I think there was three or 4,000 people at least um, at this event. Just the, to have all the leaders, all the different denominations come together. Um, you know, and that was, I think that was a big part of it. Um, Uncommon Fellowship was the theme. And um, I think the underlying... Um, kind of underlying message for that for our for catalyst was kind of unity uh unity to um have all the you know this just because another church may act a little different um you know dress differently or have different things um a mega church or a small church um this having us all come together for a united purpose to uh for jesus and to have people you know get saved and and follow uh, God and follow the Bible. So I think um, that was a great purpose. Uh, one of the main uh, focus points of Catalyst. Uh, just a couple things that spoke to me real quickly. Um, I've, this is the third time I've been up, the third time I've been to Catalyst, and this was probably, I would say, for my opinion, this was probably the best, uh, from top to bottom, probably the best speakers that we had there. Um, it was an amazing experience. I think everybody got something out of it, at least multiple things out of it, and it's a lot of information coming at you, but uh, Craig Rochelle, um, I like, you guys know them, uh, he, he's a uh, you know, great pastor, wrote many books. Uh, one of the things he quickly talked about 
um, is that we need each other um, in, in the referring to the body of Christ. Um, just because, you know, uh, there's, you know, we have Pentecostal, Methodist, Lutheran, Baptist, Southern Baptist. There's a gazillion different. But if they're preaching the word, you know, and if they're believing the right things, we need to come together and pray for that church. You know, just not think about ourselves. I think in today's society, I think the competitive nature, especially in America, we want to, we, you know, we want to get bigger and better. And, we, you know, we, 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 instead of, you know, the I mentality, but instead of, you know, praying for the other church down the street that has 10 people in it or the mega church that has 3,000 people in it. So we want to pray. It's like a, you know, kind of have everybody come together. If we all can come together, we can, we can save, serve a greater purpose and do more things than just on our own. I think that was the main, one of the main things I gathered from it, and that's something that um, my dad's here today and give, a, give him a shout-out. But that's something that he instilled in me a couple, like 20 years ago. He's like, don't worry about the denominations. You know, um, don't worry about the denominations. Pray for the churches. Pray for the churches. And I think... You can clap for that if you want. But uh, that's something that I think each, each one of us in our daily prayer lives should be doing every day. Pray for the church down the street. Pray for the church in Alabama. Pray for, pray for the churches around here. We can come together as a community. We can do so much more. Just imagine what we could do. It's amazing. That's one of the things I gathered from it. Um, there's so much information I could talk for hours, but we don't have hours. Um, one of the things he, he focused on was love like Jesus loved to, just to other people you know love your enemy as you love yourself so that's one of the things he talked about and that's something that's something easy to say you know you can say that you're like oh yeah I'll, I'll do that do we do that no you know you know somebody that talks bad about you or gossips about you or um this doesn't like you, doesn't like, like the way you smell, doesn't like the way you look, doesn't like the way you dress. You know, it's hard to love that person, but that's what God commands us to do. And I think if everybody did that, you know, the body of the church itself would be a better place to be at, and the world would be a better place. And that's something that we can take back. You know, people, there's, there's you guys don't realize this, you may do, but people that are not Christians, that don't come to church, if they know you're a Christian, I hope they do know you're a Christian um, by what your actions are and how you speak, but um, they're, they're watching you. They're watching you. And uh, you got to, if you're, if you're you know, so-called different and you're, and you're loving on people that other people don't, don't have nothing to do with, they're going to notice that. And that could lead somebody to Christ or have them come to church, change lives. So that's something to think about. Um, I'll probably cut it. I, I have like probably another hour to things to talk about, but um, I'll just cut it off right there. Um, I don't want, there's a lot of other things I'm sure people want to say that I'm probably going to hit on, but this is something I took away, so um, I'll pass it on. Morning, VLC. Um, this is my first year. Uh, attending something like this of this magnitude. I've always seen these guys on uh, like podcasts or YouTube and, you know, just to see them live and in person and feel the Holy Spirit there, you know, in the presence of this uncommon fellowship. You know, I've, 
our country is divided. Not only our country, but most of the time our churches are divided. And so, you know, touching on Uncommon Fellowship has been powerful. Just, we need to unite, you know. I mean, we are pretty united, but we've got a little ways to go yet on this. Um, um, one of the things that stood out speaking on that was the world, one of the quotes I heard was spoken was saying, the world knows what we're against more than they know what we're for. Now, that, that's a, that would be, that speaks volumes, right? I mean, they know, they know we're against a lot of the things in the world, but do they know what we're for? And I think, wow, that's a powerful question. And uh, I think that just spoke to my heart. You know, I'm like, wow, you know, because, I mean, a few years ago, I mean, I, I can remember just tearing people down, ripping them apart, because I knew a lot about, I thought I knew a lot about the Bible. But, you know, it's just... But the, it's amazing, you know, and uh, Lisa Turkist uh, was there, and uh, I like one of her quotes she said. Now, this is kind of, you know, because a, a, a lot of times uh, people think that the church is about rules, you know, and about all that, but I like what she had to say, because we went through Genesis 3, you know, we're talking about that, and I like what she had to say, you know, she said, God speaks in a language of freedom first. And then, and then the restrictions are put in place to protect us. So there's always that open door to wander away, you know. And I think, but, all, but they're in place to protect us, not to hurt us. So the Bible is all truth, and we believe that. And, and uh, I like what, uh, let's see, there's a guy named Eugene Cho that was there, really awesome guy. Just to humor you guys a little bit, he come up and the first thing he says is, I'm not Francis Chan. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's kind of amazing because he says, not all Asians look alike. But, so <laughs> he got encountered at, uh, I think it was a book signing. And uh, you just, uh, yeah, he was just like, they called him Francis Chan. <laughs> so um, what, he, what I like what he had to say is he, one of the main things he said, you know, was like, look people in the eyes. You see a lot when you look people in the eyes, and I, I agree with that. You see the hurt, you see the love, you see the passion behind. So, um, let's see. Ah, oh, this is one of my, one of my favorites. Uh, her name is Jill Saxton. She was like uh, second to speak, you know, behind Craig Rochelle. And I, uh, I like what she had to say. It says, it does not blow a candle out by lighting another. To me, that was powerful, you know. Because a lot of times we, like, as a church, you know, we're like, we want the glory, we want, we're so impressed by our own things, you know, that we, you know, like, about praying for the other churches, you know, around the area, around our country, and we just think we, but she's, I think it's, a, that spoke volumes to me, because, like, you know, you think about it, our candle may go, may go out, but another candle is relit by another another denomination that, that is doing great things just as much as we're doing great things. So that, that was spoke volumes to me. Um, I could speak hours, honestly, man, because I am still kind of off on a high on this. So it's really, really cool that the Holy Spirit is ignited in my, my personal self, my wife and I. She's not up here to speak today, but she, I think she would uh, attest that she feels the same way. Um, Did I speak that long? Did I speak that long? Oh, man. <laughs> I didn't want to have to tackle Chris. 
Kevin Smithwick. If you don't know, that was Chris Moyer. Uh, he didn't introduce himself, and some of you may not know who he is. And also, I just want to say the directions we got for today was, hey, I'm going to let you share some stuff. So we didn't plan what we're talking about, so this is all from our hearts. And also, interesting, we didn't tell each other to bring our notebooks, but pretty much everyone has their notebook because uh, it's that important. That's, that's all the stuff we wrote down. So um, I'm going to talk about uh, Dave Ramsey here, and he can call himself a hillbilly, and he's kind of blunt, and that's why he explains that. Um, and so I identify with that because I have to soften my words a lot because I tend to be blunt in, uh, in your face. Um, but talking at Uncommon Fellowship, I would say all of our hearts here are that Vertical Life Church has Uncommon Fellowship, so we're reaching out to those that don't look like us, you know, talk like us, dress like us. And um, within us right now, we're, we're pretty uniform looking, but Uncommon Fellowship goes deeper than that for Vertical Life Church. That is how we, how we have fellowship with each other. And what he spoke about was actually killers to unity. And so I'm going to highlight those. I'm not going to go in detail. A lot of it you can look up and research, and uh, we'll dig in deeper maybe down the road. But first thing he says, poor communication is a killer to unity. And just so you know, um, that's one of the emphasis we have at our elder meetings, constantly talking about how to communicate better. Um, we're trying to do the best we can. Hopefully you see improvements after the conference with our communication to you. And um, if you need better communication from us, please have those open, um, have open dialogue with us about that, of how we may be able to communicate all the things going on and, and our vision and all that to you more effectively. The second thing is um, gossip. Killer to Unity is obviously gossip. And um, one of the things in his organization, his, his company actually, they're voted one of the best places to work. And one of the things they talk about a gossip is gossip always goes up. Um, it doesn't go to the person, you know, salespeople around you and your neighbors, et cetera. If you have a negative thing to say, um, you take that up to the person above you, and then you can resolve it in some way, shape, or form. I think we can all buy into that. If we all did that here today, made that commitment, then I think our church would be more in unity. Um, and this goes along with number three, unresolved disagreements. So again, with gossip, that can cause a lot of disagreements if you're going up with your negative comments, that'll open the door that we can resolve our conflicts. So that can get deep-seated within you, cause bitterness, and then uh, obviously unity. Um, we get little groups of people who are now against each other because they have one or the other side of the story. So we want to resolve those as fast, as quickly, and as lovingly as possible. The fourth killer is lack of shared purpose. So part of that is our job as leaders that we talk to you about what our shared purpose is. So today, on Column Fellowship, you can, you can know that is a shared purpose we have. We want to have it. We want to push for it. We want to lead you through that, along with our core values, et cetera. So our shared purpose is also our core values. If you don't know what those are, we need to talk about them more so that they're on our hearts constantly. And the last one, um, definitely in your face from Dave Ramsey, is called sanctioned incompetence. So that's when uh, we have a vision and we have a plan in place and we have things maybe in the kids ministry say this is the way we want to do this because we know it'll impact our children, the lives of our neighbors and uh, the, our visitors, our guests, all those things. Um, and when a uh, person, volunteer even, paid person, volunteer, um, if we don't talk to them about to where they're failing on those, those missions and those, those uh, expectations we have, we're sanctioning their incompetence, and that's just going to cause disunity because then someone else is going to have to pick up the line and, and do that job for them and kind of carry them along. And so what we have to do is find a way to lovingly speak with those people and constantly remind through communication and our shared vision, um, what those expectations are, why we have those expectations, and how that will um, move our church forward in a positive direction. So that's what I wanted to share with you this morning.
Hi, I'm Kristen Tanner, um, Jason's wife. Um, I just think it's funny because uh, we literally were riding in the car and Joey said, okay, you guys got to speak. And the nerves were, we were going to talk about the same thing. But I think it's funny, and this shows um, the vast um, different personalities. So far, nobody's talked about the same thing. We all took something different away. Um, the thing I got um, wasn't so, I mean, I guess it has to do with leadership in the church, but mine was more personal. Um, it was um, Clay Scroggins, if you've never heard of him. Um, he is another pastor under Andy Stanley. Um, he, his, his, his punchline was uncommon fellowship rarely happens with unhealthy people. Um, and then when you're unhealthy, it really affects the team. So for me personally, um, I was going through some things, and so I got some healing from that. Um, so one of the things he says is recognizing that you're unhealthy and what you can do about it. And what he touched on was the white noise in our lives. Um, Generally, I'm a strong person and um, tend to kind of uh, be able to barrel through problems. So uh, this last winter, um, that didn't happen so well for me. And um, it was like one thing after another. And um, you keep thinking, okay, I'm going to get through this, and then I'm going to make it, and it's going to be fine. And um, it just, I, I hit a wall. And I, I lost, I lost my, myself. I lost everything. You know, I just, I just couldn't get get out of it. So, and following that, um, Louis Giglio came up, and it was so encouraging because he went through the same thing. Um, emotionally, he said it just came out of nowhere, and he just started having panic attacks, and he was curled up in a ball, and that's honestly how I felt. You know, and conveniently, Mother's Day. Um, as a mother, you can't, you can't do that. You can't check out. And then, you know, I'm on the leadership team and in doing here, I hear people's problems. I'm trying to support them through everything they're going through. And um, so it just, I, it just was really encouraging to hear that someone that's a huge leader that gets paid lots of money um, is going through the same thing. Um, so what he, what I took from him is that um, my white noise became my giant, you know, um, it became my focus. And, um, you know, you can't lose heart against that challenge um, and that Jesus is the giant slayer. And so I have to give it to him. And I think it comes a point where you just keep getting hit with things that you start trying to take care of everything yourself. And you can't hear enough to sit down and talk to God and just give it to him and, and wait for him to fix it, which never happens immediately in my book anyway. It must be a patient thing for me. Um, so um, the, the, the final thing that I took from all of that is that in all that, I was feeding the giant. I was talking about it all the time. You know, I can't do that. It's causing anxiety. You know, I can't, I can't go do that. I can't be with those people because I have anxiety. You know, I'm depressed. And um, what he was saying is, you know, quit feeding that giant. You know, start getting your focus on Jesus. Quit, you know, focus on the good. Um, and then... This song that we're going to sing at the end of this um, service, I just urge you to listen to the words because um, that blew all of that up for me. Like, the words um, just were really healing, and um, I hate crying in front of people, so this is awkward too, um, but I was sobbing. 
it was like I couldn't get control of it. Like it was just so healing for me. Um, and I'm just so thankful that I had the opportunity through the church to go through that and just hopefully be a better leader, you know, and to um, be a part of unity and uncommon fellowship and, um, and also piggybacking that um, <clears throat> that I forgot to say. Um, you know, I'm married to a police officer and the last year has been, like I think that may have been what set some of it over the edge. Um, and so that was good for me uh, to go in there because, you know, seeing the struggle, you know, just seeing people come against my husband and worry about him all the time has made me very angry, a very angry person. We've, we've never seen color. We're not those people. He works with people that we just, we don't raise our kids that way. And it stirred so many things in me that I never wanted to be. You know, and so this, it's healed it for me. It's really healed all of that. And, and it helped relieve the stress of all of that. And seeing church people come together and say, you know, like, we can be the change. You know, I don't have to be caught up in the anger. I can be the change. I can say this is not okay. We're not those people. We love you. You know, we're not, I don't know. But anyway, the gong is probably going off. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it off. Well, hello. Um, I think most of you know me. There may be two or three that do not. My name is Tony Henry, and I'm married to Joey over there. Um, that's hard to follow. I'm trying not to get emotional from what she said, but I just want to say, Kristen, I appreciate your transparency in your heart. And that stuff for me is like, that brings change in me. And so that kind of has to go along with what I wanted to say. Um, first, I guess I'm the odd... Well, this doesn't have to go along with that, but I'm the oddball. I don't have the book. I don't usually take notes. I know that makes me sound like I don't care, but then I find myself not referring to them. So, like, I'd rather just sit and soak it all in and at once. So I don't usually take notes. I do have my phone um, for something, and then also I think Jason copied my notes before church. I think he came up and... Yeah, he did. See, he's admitting it now. At least he's honest, but... She was saying how we all have something else to say. I think what I have to say is kind of along the same lines. Um, so personal stories, I'm um, getting back to that. Those always affect me the most, like when someone's just real and they just open your heart, and I think that could probably go across the board. We could all say that really impacts us. So um, I'm going to share a personal story that one of the speakers shared, and then I'm going to share with you how it related to me very personally and a work God did even at the conference that was really cool, that where you don't expect him to like, oh, you're already working in this. That's amazing. We haven't even gone home yet. So Craig Rochelle, he was the very first speaker, and obviously he has a mega church and several campuses, and you just think, you know, this guy's amazing, and what flaws could there be in him? And how he was talking about how when he would drive to church on Sunday morning, there was a little church plant going up on his route to church. And he would say, God bless that church. And he said, you know, one week there'd be like five cars in the parking lot. And the next week there'd be like seven. And he's like, yes, God bless that church. And 
Um, also, at the same time in his ministry, he was saying he was going through like a stagnant time where attendance had kind of capped and they just felt kind of still or like stuck. So I guess that, that needs to be added. So the next week he'd go by and attendance would be down and he'd be like, oh, maybe that's the week everybody has the flu. And he's like, but God bless that church. And he heard the Holy Spirit say, Craig, would you be happy if I bless that church more than I'm blessing your church? And he had to stop. And really, in that moment, the answer was no. He wanted his church to be successful, his church to grow, his church to be huge, his church to make an impact. And he said he had to come to a point where he really had to lay that out before God, that he would be okay. God, bless that church more than you're blessing my ministry. Grow that church beyond the numbers um, Life Church could ever attain. And he said it was then in that moment, and I'm sure if you've been a believer for any length of time, you can relate personally, in his surrender that God began to change his ministry and bless his ministry again and change that. And so I was convicted when I heard that because very personally, I'm going to share a personal story. Um, there's a little church in Mount Morris, and when we used to live in Mount Morris, um, I would drive by and I would see like kind of the same scenario. But only in my case, I never asked God to bless that church. I didn't even think about that. I thought, honestly, in my cynical mind, if I'm being honest with you, they're probably not going to survive. There's only five cars in the parking lot. They're probably not going to make it. Well, now there's only three. They're probably not going to make it. And I was so convicted that I had no concern for what other believers are trying to do, even in our community, other churches going up. And as a church plant, sometimes you... Well, for me personally, I feel like maybe I have to be um, defensive about the, we have to like validate ourselves and make our, name mo- make our name known in the community so you know that people respect us as a church and they don't view us as that little church that may close its doors in a couple months. Um, so I was convicted and I started asking God to obviously bless that little church in Mount Morris. And then I started thinking about even the big churches in Clio and all the other churches that I just know of and this area. God bless them. Bless them more than you're blessing us because what does it matter if people are being reached with the gospel? What does it matter who's being blessed more or who has more? Like praise God for all of it. This is not a competition. And while we were there, there was another church from Clio there. And I feel like they probably had the same convictions because we were able to meet up And I said, you know, if there's anything we can do for you, and I'm thinking they're probably thinking, yeah, like you could do anything for us because you're like this big and we're this big. But like, let us know. Like, I'm just like speaking for like the leadership. Like, we'll give you whatever. No, I did. But, and he said the same thing. You know, let us know. Let us know. And they offered their facility to us to rehearse for our worship team because we don't have a place to rehearse right now. And that was a huge answer to prayer. And, um... There was another, like, even more personal. I'm going to get really personal here. If it's TMI, just start calling it out. No, I'm just kidding. But so there was another, there's a couple there that I know from Clio. And they go to this church. And we never speak, never, because I don't know why. I feel like they don't like us, but we don't know why they don't like us. And I don't really have a problem with them. I just think they don't want to talk to me. But I was convicted about that too. And I was like, God bless them. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make, I'm going to take initiative and I'm going to go talk to them because these walls are coming down. We're all believers. We're not going to leave up this angst, you know, their church, our church, this relationship. I don't even know why it is like it is. And actually what happened was the woman from that couple approached me 
and started talking to me. And we talked about how we live in the same neighborhood and which is crazy and all of these things. And so it was another God moment. Like he was working on her and working on me at the same time. And I was just so thankful for that. I mean, we can talk about the idea of unity, but to actually see it happening in our hearts is so cool. So I'm going to read this verse, um, and you may or may not hear it a little later. Um, really quick, John 17, it's more than one verse. 20 through 23, this is Jesus praying to the Father um, before he goes to his death. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. Why am I going to cry now? As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And I thought for a moment, I'm like, like it hit me for the first time. Jesus was praying to God. And that prayer that he prayed has still not even come to fruition. And that was Jesus praying. And I was like, oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for the role that I've played in that against the will of Jesus and his father. So that was it. I hope that spoke to you. I hope personally, you know, as members of the church, too, you can take that message, not just as leadership and and um, understand that's Jesus's prayer for the church. That's Jesus's prayer for believers. So thanks, guys. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful for everyone that went. It was just a special and amazing time. And uh, we're, we're looking at a different conference this next year. Uh, we actually... Uh, are pretty excited about it because we'll have an opportunity potentially to take more of you if you're interested in going with us. It's a conference specifically for church planners. Uh, so if you're interested in doing that, we will have an opportunity to, to bring some more of you along with us so that you can be a part of the experience. Um, the conferences like this are always very, I, should, I don't know how to really say it, uh, challenging, I guess, uh, because on one hand, you're hyped up, you're excited, things are going great, but the second time, you're reminded of how bad of a job you've been doing, you know? Uh, I know as I'm sitting there and I'm listening to all these incredible speakers, I'm like, yes, that's true, that's true. At the same time, I'm hanging my head in shame and be like, man, I should be doing this better and this better and this better and this better. And what I was reminded of most of uh, through that process is that we are all still under construction. And uh, you know, the scripture says that we are Christ's workmanship, and then the one who began the good work will be faithful to complete that very same work. God is still working in all of us. We're all on a spiritual journey in different levels and different areas. And, uh, and so I'm encouraged of what God has kind of opened up for us as far as new focuses for our ministry. And, uh, and I'm excited to see how he begins to bless our church within that process. Um, First thing I just want to bring out to us today is we're talking about uncommon fellowship is the phrase e pluribus unum. That's America's motto. E pluribus unum means what? Do you know? Out of the many, one. 
Out of the many, there is one. And the founding of this nation, it was a crazy thing. You had people from many different countries coming together uh, and forming something new. And with America, we have this idea that out of all these different cultures, every race, tribe, tongue, every social class, economic status, you name it, can come together under the banner of one flag bind ourselves together under one constitution to be one nation under God. That is the motto. That is the heartbeat of America since its founding. And the thing the founding fathers did is they actually stole that idea, believe it or not. Because when you open the Bible and you see what Jesus unleashed in Acts chapter 2 with the formation of the church, we also see an e pluribus unum. Out of the many, you have one. And Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he begins to speak about the church and describe what the church is. And ultimately, he refers to the church as a body, the body of Christ. And he says, each person within the body is in and of itself a unique part of the body. We're all individual parts. But yet when each individual part comes together, we form one body, one entity. One body with one common purpose, and that is to honor Christ with all we are, to be the light and hope of the world. And when every part of the body is functioning properly, the body is healthy, and the body is able to achieve wonders. Think about what humans have done with the body. I think of athletes from the X Games. I don't know how people hit ramps and do flips on ATVs. You know, I think of gymnasts. I don't know how they do a million flips in a row, bounce up, spin around what seems like at the speed of light, and land and not puke all over the floor. I don't know. But we're able to achieve incredible wonders just within the human body. Think of scientists and the things we've been able to discover and create with the brains God has given us. Think about astronauts and being able to go into space and all the different things we're able to do with the body that God has given us. As human beings, we're able to do incredibly amazing things with a healthy and thriving body. And just like the human body, what the church can accomplish when it's healthy is also amazing. And biblically, it's even miraculous. But somewhere along the way, the church, over the years, began to get sick. And instead of each part working together and thriving with one vision, one heart, one mind, accomplishing wonders, people began to separate into their own specific spaces, started working for their own agendas, bringing forth denominations and drawing lines standing in opposition to one another rather than standing with one another. And now, just as was said before, the common view of the church in the mainstream world is centered more around what Christians are against rather than what we are for. And sadly, what we're against much of the time is one another. And not just one church against another, not just vertical life church against New Covenant or Trinity or whatever the case is, but believers with inside a singular church build factions, create strife, and work against one another, against the will of God for his church. Uh, Eugene Cho was mentioned earlier. Eugene Cho, as he was speaking, he said 
that one of the hardest groups of people to lead to Christ are Christians. If you think about that for a minute, one of the hardest groups of people to lead to Christ are Christians because we know everything, we've been told everything, we know how it's supposed to go, and yet our hearts become hardened toward one another. And as was shared before, unity is so important to the church. John chapter 17, verse 21, think about this. Just as my, my wife said, Christ is praying to the Father. And in verse 21 of John chapter 17, he says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, that there would be a unification so solid that there is no division within them. Be one as we are one, as you are in me, Father, and I in him, you. And may they be in us. And then catch what Jesus says. He says, so the world will believe you sent me. May they be one, so the world will believe you sent me. Christ's desire for the church to be in unity is a big deal. And the reality of that desire is so very important because he says when the church is in unity, the world will believe. They'll see what they need to see to know I am who I said I am. I've done what I said I'll do. And that's huge, especially for us who are workers of the kingdom of God as the body of Christ, because our mission is to bring hope to the world through the gospel. Our mission is to engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. But as much as we need to focus on getting the gospel out to those who are far from God, we need to also focus on bringing unity in. Because the reality is unity is so very important for us. But sadly, a sad but true fact is unity only comes easily with uniformity. Uniformity and unity are two different things. Uniformity essentially means everything is the same. If you're married in this room today, if you were married to someone who thought like you, who had the same interests as you, who wanted to do everything the same as you wanted to do them, had the same motivations as you, theoretically, you'd be in unity. And you'd have very few, if not zero, dysfunction in your relationship. But anyone that's married in this room also knows that that is not true. That is highly improbable, which is also why marriage counseling is a very lucrative business. So if you're looking to get into some type of business and make a lot of money, you might consider marriage counseling. You see, it's easy to be in unity when there's uniformity. Everything's the same. There's no division because no one has a different opinion. It's incredibly challenging to be in unity when there's diversity. It's hard to cooperate when the people you're in business with are always on a different page or when you're a ministry leader in a church and everyone has their own idea on how things should go and be run. When people are focused more on building their own kingdom within these four walls than expanding the Lord's kingdom outside of the walls. See, especially when we add multiple opinions with diversity, but not just opinions, we start including different nationalities, different races, different tribes, different tongues, different backgrounds, different preferences and upbringings and mindsets and the like. It becomes very difficult. 
to have unity. And because these differences cause tension among us, and none of us really like to dwell with, within tense situations or within tension in our lives, we tend to opt for the easy way out. We opt for uniformity rather than working towards unity and diversity, which is why you see a church in every denomination, and not just through doctrinal beliefs. You have churches for every denomination of person, for every kind of race, every kind of person, whether you like traditional music, whether you like contemporary music, whether you're a hipster, whether you're an old you know, person that likes to wear suits to, to church. We have different types of churches for every kind of person. We segregate ourselves because we're afraid of that tension. And because we segregate ourselves, we prevent ourselves from being in unity the unity we need to fulfill the mission Jesus has set before us. Craig Rochelle, again, was mentioned before. He's the pastor of Life Church. Uh, they're the ones responsible for the YouVersion Bible app. So if you've downloaded that app, uh, that's ultimately because that church had a vision to get the Bible to people at no cost, and they've given millions of copies of the Word of God uh, out all over the world because of that app. But at the conference, one of the things that stuck out to me is he said that growth and comfort cannot coexist. Growth and comfort cannot coexist. And just as a human body needs to mature and grow to be effective into adulthood and the like, so does the body of Christ needs to mature and grow to be effective in its mission to reach the world. But sadly, many of its parts choose comfort over growth and keep the body in a state of stagnation. See, we're not the only ones who struggle in this area. The early church, just after Pentecost, just after the miraculous signs and wonders with the healings and the miracles and all these things, the early church, too, struggled with this area. It had a rough go when it first launched into the world, when it started becoming not just a Jewish religion, but a multi-ethnic religion, not just a local faith, but a regional faith. They began having difficulties navigating those differences. But what we see in the early church that we don't typically see in the modern church in many respects is an effort to proactively maintain unity by wading through the tensions and working together to solve problems rather than just choosing to go somewhere else. I'll try that church. I'll try that denomination. We just leave. We leave neighborhoods to avoid potential race and social class tension. We leave the churches in hope to finding a more uniform setting that removes the tension, increases my comfort, and does not challenge me to change. So here we are in the modern church. We have our own unique set of cultural challenges, but the calling is still the same, to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus didn't say, just preach to those who look like you, who live like you, who live by you. He said, preach to every creature. Why? Because everyone, say it with me, church, matters to God. We don't say that week after week just because it sounds good. It is the truth. Everyone matters to God. That is why the church of Jesus Christ is called to uncommon fellowship with one another as we engage our culture. It's an uncommon because the kind of fellowship we have in the church is a unique form of fellowship. The scripture calls us a peculiar people. To the world outside, we're strange. We're weirdos. We're peculiar. That people would sell their possessions, give up wealth to take care of the needs of someone who is struggling, 
that people would actually approach another person to confess their sins rather than sweep them under the rug and pray nobody finds out. That we would devote ourselves to praying, to, to learning the teachings of Christ and how they can apply to our lives and how we can live that out. The fact that because of his love for us, we have a love that motivates us to stand in the gap for the weak and the defenseless, to give voice to those who have no voice, who can't speak for themselves. We are a strange group of people. And so we as followers of Christ have to make a decision. We have to decide, are we going to answer God's call or aren't we? Are we going to rise up to the call of unity in diversity, which displays the glory of the Most High, or are we going to choose to buckle under the pressure of tension and bail out at the first sign of discomfort? I believe that if you truly want to honor God with your life, you'll choose to go through the tension because that's where growth happens. That's where learning happens. And we as the leadership of the church, when we began having those first meetings before we planted this ministry, we knew from the very beginning that if we were going to stand on that mission to engage people where they were, we were going to have to affirm the truth that everyone matters to God. If we were going to stand behind that affirmation of the truth, then one day we'd be faced with some tension in that diversity. And we embraced it, knowing the picture of the church in heaven in the book of Revelation. It is one that reflects the glory of God with every nation, tribe, and tongue, people from every social class, every economic status, every walk of life. And so we began making efforts to continue to to promote that diversity among us so that this church can reflect his church in the hereafter. We face some tensions and are facing some tensions. But I believe that if we hold fast to the calling of God in our lives to be faithful to his word, we are going to see a powerful product be produced in and through our church. We're going to see an outpouring of changed lives from every walk of life. And as we rise up together in unity within this body and in support of other ministries in our local area and beyond, as we stop fighting to build our own kingdom and fight to advance the kingdom, that God is going to do a great work. And today, this Mother's Day, we're going to talk about a very familiar story. We're going to continue on this theme of uncommon fellowship. We're going to use the story of Naomi and Ruth. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to the book of Ruth, chapter number one. What I'd like to say is, even though this book is named after Ruth, I don't believe she's the most important character in the story. She is the main character, but she's not the most important character. I believe Naomi, actually, is the most important character. She has the most vital role in the whole story, more so than most people give her credit. Because this mother-in-law is the sole reason the story unfolds as it does in the Bible. And whatever role you find yourself in today, this Mother's Day, maybe you're a mom or maybe you're a mom and a mother-in-law, do not... Do not, do not underestimate the power of your position in your family. Don't underestimate it. Because your influence will extend beyond the reach of your short lifespan here on the earth. Your influence is going to go beyond into a legacy. And what we're going to see here in the life of Ruth and Naomi is they were actually able to have an uncommon fellowship amongst themselves. 
And by and large, they were able to have this because of the example of Naomi and who she was to the family. And as we look at this story, we're going to see three main components that I believe we can also relate to us as a church so that we can help ourselves uh, live out this call to uncommon fellowship corporately, corporately and individually, the way Jesus desires his church to be. In Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord says this. It says, In the days when the judges ruled Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilian, and they were Ephratites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died. And Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other named a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. For through two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes. May the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then she kissed them to goodbye, and they broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, he said, she said nothing more. Father in heaven, I just pray for our time today as we unpack your word and we look at uncommon fellowship. God, you would just speak to every one of our hearts. Holy Spirit, convict us of where we've been working against unity and inspire us today to commit to work towards unity. God, empower us to empower not just other churches in the area, God, but to come into unity and be leaders of unity in our area so that the world will know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that those far from you will have a relationship with him and be saved, God, and that we could see a turnaround in this area for the gospel's sake. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we have this story of Naomi and Ruth, and the first component that I see that we need as a church in order to have uncommon fellowship in this uh, story is, number one, you need an uncommon mix. You need an uncommon mix. If you think of the story of Naomi and Ruth, Naomi was a Jew from Israel, and Ruth was a Moabite. The Moabites 
Uh, if you look at biblically their, their history, when Abraham uh, followed God and he settled in the land of Canaan and God began to bless him, uh, Abraham had a, I believe it was his nephew named Lot, and Lot went to go hang out in some wicked cities. And when God destroyed those cities, Lot fled. His wife died in the process, but he was left with his two daughters. And the night after the cities were destroyed, his two daughters were freaking out. What now? How are we going to have husbands? So they get their father drunk. They do things I can't really go into detail about. And they both become pregnant because of their father. One of those sons was named Moab. Moab is the father of the Moabites. So you have this incestuous relationship that gave birth to this uh, group of people. And the Moabites have historically been enemies of the Jewish people. So here you have Naomi and her two sons, and they marry enemies of Israel. Not only that, in the law, God told the nation of Israel not to marry anyone else that wasn't from the, the Jewish people. So they had also broken the law of God by marrying these women. So they're outside of God's will. They're enemies of God. And for all intents and purposes, Naomi really should have had nothing to do with them. This was uh, the worst scenario imaginable. But was even worse than, than being enemies of Judah or Israel, what was worse than uh, them being outside of the law of God, here in this relationship, Naomi was Ruth's mother-in-law. How many of you have a great relationship with your mother-in-law? You know, that, that's not such a common situation. You might get along with your mother-in-law, but it's not like mom, right? It's a different kind of relationship. So there was a lot of diversity within this, a lot of challenges, a lot of things that could complicate this scenario. And what I see in this is that if the church wants uncommon fellowship, that it needs this uncommon mix. It needs things that it is forced to overcome uh, in the relationship. See, if we all look the same, if we all talk the same, if we all were completely uniform, then we would have unity, but it wouldn't be at the cost of anything. It would keep us comfort or comfortable. And we wouldn't have compassion on the plight of others because that would be outside of our comfort. We wouldn't have a desire to ask questions or to learn or to understand. We would just be perfectly content staying just as we are. We would become ignorant of anything or anyone else, what they were going through around us because of that uniformity and that comfort. If we all think the same, we wouldn't be challenged to think beyond what was comfortable. To reach people, just as Paul said, you need to become all things to all people, which means you have to engage them where they are. In order to do that, you have to become like them. You have to understand where they're coming from. You have to uh, have history. You have to make connections. Uniformity prevents all of that. See, to reach people as the church of Christ, we need to seek people. In order to seek people, we need to be ready to receive people just as they are. And if I'm not in a frame of mind to listen, then it doesn't matter how compelling an argument is, I'm going to stick to my guns and continue to believe just the way I've always believed. In order to have this uncommon mix, we have to have a mindset of reception where we're willing to open our hearts and open our minds to ask questions, to listen, to find out where people are coming from, to see what the true needs are. Craig Rochelle, again, he encouraged the churches to be not what they were against or be more for what they're against, but to be more about what they are for. 
And as Christians, we've become professional at being against so many things, things that, that in, increase our resistance, that naturally close doors to people who are a different shape, size, or color. We close the doors to those that we may have otherwise have had liberty to reach and disciple. If we would just had that mentality that says, you know what, I'm going to reach out to you. I'm going to receive you. I'm going to love you just as you are. And I see this in the life of Naomi. She took an enemy of Israel. She took a marriage that wasn't sanctioned by God. And instead of casting it aside because it didn't live up to her standards, she welcomed them in and showed them love. The second thing we need for uncommon fellowship that I see in this story is an uncommon bond. There's an uncommon bond. In, in verse 8 of chapter 1 of Ruth, it says, On the way, Naomi said to her two daughters, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Verse 10 says, No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. What's amazing about these two young women, they were so connected with Naomi. Again, this is a mother-in-law situation. This is an enemy of Israel situation. This is an, a sinful situation, sinfully uh, sanctioned marriage situation. But they were so connected with Naomi that they were at least on the outside ready to give up their people, give up their land, give up their religion just to stay with her, to go back with her to her own homeland. This is an uncommon bond. This would be the equivalent of, let's say, two white American girls who are married to African-American husbands whose mother-in-law was from Africa after the husbands died, said, you know what, I'm going back to Africa. You stay here in, in your home country and you remarry and you live your life. And they say, no, we're going to give up America. We're going to give up our faith. We're going to give up our ways. We're going to go with you to your country. We're going to adopt your language. We're going to adopt your gods. We're going to adopt your way of living. This is crazy. If you think about just the, the, the environment, what's happening here, and the decisions that they're making, this is not just an easy decision. You know, I know some you know, women can't leave the state because they don't want to be away from mom. I've known families that can't, you know, move more than 20 minutes outside of town because they don't want to be away from their families. These women, we're going to give all of that up to be with Naomi. Talk about a huge deal. The only thing that can have warranted that type of reaction from these two young ladies is love. Love. Love for their mother-in-law was so great, they were willing to follow her wherever she went. And this is a testimony of Naomi's character. Not only was she a Jewish woman in a foreign country whose people were always at odds with the Israelite nation, but she was their mother-in-law. She was, that wasn't her land. Those weren't her people. The religion in the area wasn't her religion. Put yourself in these girls' shoes. Personalize this. And think about what they were ready to give up. You see, Naomi had to have been something else to these young girls. Had to have been some kind of wonderful to warrant that type of bond with these young girls. And if we look at the early church, in the book of Acts, you have people that didn't really associate with each other. You had Jews and Gentiles. You had them sitting together, breaking bread together, worshiping together, fellowshipping together. 
because they too were united by an uncommon bond. An uncommon bond founded on love. Love and hope found in Jesus Christ. This is the uncommon bond that binds us together. This is what makes uh, people within the church, believers and followers of Christ, say, you know what? I'm going to give up my plans. I'm going to give up my careers. I'm going to give up all the things that I had set out for my life, and I'm going to follow Christ wherever he goes. I'm going to go wherever he leads. Even though we have that bond, even though we have that love, it's available to each and every one of us, we still have to choose what we do with it. We can follow that bond, that love, wherever it leads and among who it leads, recognizing that for uncommon fellowship to exist, diversity must exist. And the reality is, is that diversity is just another word for messy. It really is. And when we're among messes, any of you have small children or been around small children, or you could ask one of our kids' ministry workers today, you've been around messes. If you're around messes long enough, chances are you're going to get messy. And when you're in diversity, people with different problems, different backgrounds, and things of that nature, if you're around that long enough and engaged with it, you too are going to get messy. And we can either embrace diversity or we can reject diversity by opting for comfort leading us away from the very thing that will bring the greatest impact. In verse 14 of Ruth chapter 1, so they again wept together. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, and you should do the same. Now, Naomi not only loved her daughters-in-law, but time and time again, what we see motivated within her was that Naomi preferred the needs, desires of her daughters-in-law over herself. Here she is widowed. Now she's lost her sons. She's become homeless, poor, and destitute. She could have technically enslaved them and made them work for her to provide a living, but instead she says, no, I have your greatest good at heart. I'm going to send you back so you can have a great life. She put their needs before her own. She lived her faith that said, the only way to love God with all you are, with all your heart, soul, might, and strength, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And she was loving them in this way. Romans 13, verse 8, Paul the Apostle, speaking to the church, he says, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. We have an obligation as Christians. We've been loved by God, and so we are obligated to love one another. He says, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law. And Naomi was looking at these two enemies of Israel, and she loved them dearly, and therefore fulfilling everything God desired for her. And because she loved them in this way, they loved her in return deeply. And one of the daughters, Ruth, chose to stay and go the distance, to do the uncomfortable, to grow in the tension. She gave up her past, she gave up her people, and she embraced her future with her mother-in-law and the Lord. All because Naomi embraced diversity, loved her daughters with the love of God. A love that says, I love you right where you are, just as you are. And she put their needs above her own. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, Paul to the church of Philippi, 
said this. He said, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as what? Better than yourself. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in other people too. As the church, we are called to love in this very same way. We're called to be in unity within our diversity, and that love would be the glue that keeps us working together with one mind and one purpose. And look what Paul says needs to happen for that to happen. He says, you cannot be selfish. You cannot be trying to impress others. You have to be humble, preferring one another better than your own self. Don't have your own agenda but help implement what other people are passionate about. And I know that if you've been in church any length of time, you've seen this to be true, especially in, in older churches with older Christians, supposedly more mature Christians, not necessarily in age, but in length of, of time knowing the Lord, that people view the church as their own personal entertainment channel or their own private chef where they can just order what they want and how they want it, and it should be done their way right away. People should want and think the way they want them to desire to think, and when they don't get what they want, what they think should happen, they then go create all sorts of discord and disruption within the church. I was a worship leader before I was a pastor, and I can't tell you how many times in worship leading, and, and music, I don't know why, but it's one of the most contentious areas of church in ministry. But as a worship leader, I can't tell you how many times people would come up to me before or after a service and tell me how everything should be done better. You should have did this song. You should never do the song again. Or you should do this. You should do that. You should do this. You should do that. And they actually believe that, that God has called them to help those that God actually called to do the ministry be better at their ministry. That their opinion is somehow more important than the opinion of, of those God has called to actually lead and cast vision uh, for the ministry. And when their demand isn't met, when their idea isn't listened to, or, or somehow there's a disagreement, then they go to town gossiping with everyone else in the church, creating factions and discontent, hoping to create or uh, acquire enough backers that they could then, in mob fashion, take down the leader that didn't listen to them and then get their own way anyways. I had a pastor tell previous pastor of mine you know if you just fire that worship director go back to using the piano and organ i'll fully fund your entire building project this happens in the church and what they don't realize is the church is full of people who are diverse we don't all share the same point of view as they do but because they're not motivated by love, they're motivated by control, they can't see past their own interests and fail to prefer someone else better than they prefer themselves. And this is how many church splits begin through division caused by failure to love. And the sad but true fact in my experience is that church splits never happen because we're fighting because we're not reaching enough people. It's always over something superficial and petty. And what we see in Naomi, this amazing mom, is that with and through godly love, you can not only overcome the tension of diversity, 
But through working together, we can create something truly spectacular that has a leading or a lasting impact for generations to come. And this is where the story of Ruth really takes off. Because the third component that we see in this quest for uncommon unity or uncommon fellowship is the third component, and that is you get an uncommon result. So as the story goes on, Ruth goes with Naomi to to the land of Judah, and she runs into this guy named Boaz. And Boaz marries her after some different circumstances. Boaz is, is so smitten with Ruth when he meets her. He's really impressed with her, not just because he thought she was cute, but because he had heard about her character long before he ever met her in person. And in chapter 2, verse 8 of the book of Ruth, it says, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they're harvesting, and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. In other words, keep your hands off, fellas, is what he's basically saying. He said, And when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water they've drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you've done for who? Your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother, your own land, to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Because the impact Naomi had on Ruth by loving her in the tension, living out her faith, Ruth decided to give her life over to a new way of living. She not only left her family, but also gave up her gods. By following Naomi, she was making a decision to now begin to follow the one true God, the God of Israel. And when she made that decision, she doesn't hesitate to go live among strangers, knowing God would be there to supply all of her needs. He would be there to help her navigate in the tension. And here a widowed young woman living in a foreign land, poor, homeless, because of a new faith and love for her mother-in-law, catches the attention of this wealthy man. And if you read the rest of the story, they end up happily ever after. Boaz and Ruth are married, and through their union, God performs an incredible miracle. And we can see this through the genealogies. These are the most boring parts of the Bible, the he begat, he begat, he begat sections of the Bible. But if you read in Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, this is what the Word of God records. It says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. Boaz was the great-grandfather of King David because of the love of a mother and the response of faith to love a daughter. The love of this daughter in response of the faith of the mother, they came together in unity in an uncommon fellowship. God blessed their lives in a way that paved the way for an incredible legacy. And through creating a royal dynasty out of this family line that was based on an uncommon fellowship, if you follow the genealogy further in Matthew, you find that the last person on this list has the name Jesus, son of Joseph. Through an uncommon fellowship, God was able to bring salvation to the world. 
And this is what we've been called to be. As a body full of many living parts, each uniquely equipped and prepared for a specific purpose. Not just within these four walls, but under and under the banner of the name Vertical Life Church, but the church at large meets within different set of walls and under a banner of different names. They also have roles and functions within the body of Christ. And we're not at war with one another or in competition with one another. We're on the same side, fighting for the same thing. And God's will for the church is not just the church uh, here at Vertical Life Church, but the church as a whole is that the people would be of one mind, of one heart, agreeing with one purpose, that through our love for one another, that the unity of uncommon fellowship would be the evidence unleashed in the world that the world needs to know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Lord Most High, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, that he is the hope for all the world. And as we close, I just want to touch on one last thing. There is one other person in this story that we cannot forget about. We cannot forget about Orpah. Orpah was loved just as Ruth was loved. But yet she didn't choose to continue an uncommon fellowship. She chose to go back home, not just to her family, but also to her gods. And I fear that for many Christians, for those Christians in those ministries who are bent on uniformity, everything looking the same, everyone being the same, talking the same, thinking the same, those that don't conform to their way of doing things and they just push people away and reject that they feel that those that don't conform to their ideology aren't worthy of affiliation or respect, that they are really revealing who is their true God. They may talk about Jesus on Sunday, but they worship the God of comfort every other day. Their God is their comfort, and as long as they serve the God of comfort, I fear they're going to miss out on the legacy God wants to create and do and produce through the unity of the church, which is an uncommon legacy. God desires to produce this legacy through uncommon mixes, held together with uncommon bonds that produce uncommon results, results that will change the world. To reach who we have never reached before, we have to do something we've never done before, which means we have to choose to leave from where we're comfortable and make our bed among strangers, to venture out in the name of love and invite them to come and be a part of an uncommon fellowship. And Paul said, I become all things to all people so that by any means I could save some. And I ask you here today, do you have a willingness to become what you need to become so that you may save some? Are you surrendered to the Lord in such a way that you're willing to lay down your comfort to prefer someone else who isn't just like you? I mean, if you think about it, if you were not a child of God, but you understood that you needed someone to tell you about Jesus before you could be saved, would you not be dying for someone to come tell you how to be saved? 
knowing what you know about eternal life and knowing about God, you would be dying saying, God, where is that person to come and tell me to, to be saved? You wouldn't care if it was somebody from a different race or a different culture, or a different country, a different gender, or a different denomination. You wouldn't care who it was. You would just want someone to get you the gospel so that you could give your life to Christ and have it changed and transformed life. So if you would want that from others, why are we not ourselves going to tell everyone else? Maybe you've been a little more like Orpah than Ruth. And the discomfort of leaving where you're comfortable has just been too much of an ask. See, uncommon fellowship is an uncomfortable place because it requires us to be humble to humble ourselves and love somebody else just where they are. But when we do, the world around us will see the difference. They may say something like, you know what, I don't know about this Jesus stuff. I don't know about this resurrection thing. But I do know I'm loved and I'm not judged. I'm cared for and I'm not turned away. I can be myself without fear of what other people may think. And because of that, uncommon fellowship I know that I matter, and because I matter, maybe this Jesus thing matters, and maybe I need to take another look at that resurrection thing. The world is waiting for us, church, to embrace the tension in uncommon fellowship, and that begins with a single decision to believe God, to trust his word more than I desire to be comfortable. One mom inspired one daughter who God used to change the world because this mom embraced the tension. What are we as a church, what are you going to choose today? Let's bow our heads for a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this uncommon fellowship. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sins. We thank you for the person you put in our life who told us about what he did for us. We thank you for all the godly influences that we've had that had led us to have a relationship with you, God. And I just pray for Vertical Life Church today. I pray, God, that we would be committed to uncommon fellowship, to have unity within our diversity, and not just within these four walls, but we would take that out into the community, and that we become community leaders and how we're working towards unity within the whole body of Christ so that we can make the biggest impact for the gospel and the kingdom as you have willed, Lord. May we, may we be one so the world will know that you have been sent by the Father. And now, Father, we turn to you in worship on this Mother's Day and give you praise for all that you've done and are doing in our lives and through this ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.